From the Ron McKeefery Podcast Network, I'm Isaiah Castilleja, and this is Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. In this episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0, Coach Fight talks to us about how he's able to create a positive environment having a spouse that is a high-level operator in our same profession. His recipe for success on how he's been able to reinvent himself multiple times within our profession to match his all-spark and a real-world look into what it takes to succeed at the NFL collegiate academic and business world. All this on another episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. This episode is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder is the premier strength conditioning app for teams and private facilities. Used by more than 2,500 organizations worldwide, performance coaches can write training programs online for athletes to access on their mobile app or where they work out in the weight room view on a tablet. Right now, when you start a 14-day free trial, use promo code CHALK, that is promo code C-H-A-L-K, to access more than 70 strength conditioning programs directly in your Team Builder account, including four sports science questionnaire templates. I'm telling you, great people, great software. Check them out. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. Today, I am joined by Coach Adam Fight. He was currently he was the strength and conditioning sports psychology coach at Precision Nutrition. He was head strength and sports psychology coach at Performance Nutrition. And prior to that, he was a co-founder and director of sports performance at Reach Your Potential Training. He's also had stops at the Carolina Panthers, Eastern Michigan, Louisville, and the Citadel, and recently received his doctorate from Springfield College in Sports and Exercise Psychology. Wow. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Fight. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today, coach. It's been an honor to follow your career and have you take this over and kind of give it a little facelift. So again, it really means a lot and I'm excited to talk with you today. Absolutely. Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what your current role is and then what you're expanding into? You have a lot of, a lot of good things coming up here. So if you could elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, you're actually catching me at a unique time in terms of a transition. So as of right now, the podcast recording today is actually my last day with Precision Nutrition in a full-time role. So I've been with them the last six years. I have gone essentially from teaching their level two certification and speaking on behalf of their performance nutrition department, consulting with, you know, Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL, a lot of high-end organizations and, you know, doing a lot of work in their their latest arm of continuing education, what we have is the PN Academy. So, you know, very similar, maybe some of the coaches like what Play Academy is doing, uh, but we are doing that in the health and fitness nutrition space. So yeah, I'm wrapping up. I'm actually a free agent for the summer. So I've actually accepted a, a new position to join my wife at Springfield College, where we both got our terminal degrees. And I will be entering the uncharted lands of academia as an assistant professor of exercise science and our fieldwork coordinator for our undergrad program. So getting ready for that, enjoying a little bit of that teacher summer where there's no real classes or prep to work. So uh, spent a lot of 
yard work day today. And uh, in between that, yeah, got back into the business ownership. So my wife and I started TF Performance or TFP, and uh, we're getting some camps going for the summer and doing some training on the side. So definitely staying busy with a lot of the things. No, that's awesome. And, and one of the questions I did have is, what is it like to have your wife or a significant other that's essentially in the same field and, mm-hmm. and a very high level individual? Because I know a lot of us will always say, give the advices, find somebody that can work with you being in the profession, but your wife is in the profession and she's a very competent, high level coach. So is it one of those things that's competitive? Because I know my wife and I are competitive. Mm-hmm. Like we can't even play a board game without like going at each other. So is it a competitive thing or do you guys kind of like bounce ideas off each other? What, what is that like? Yeah, I would say it's actually a little bit of both. So I laugh at the mm-hmm. idea of the board game because we were playing sequence the other day and just, I mean, she torches me. I mean, it could be Scrabble, yeah. it could be sequence. Yeah. I only have a chance yeah. of winning when we're playing with our kids. So yeah. I've been very fortunate because she is the better thinker. She is the more empathic coach and she was the first doctor. So, you know, we talk about like, oh, Dr. Fight or Dr. Fight. It's like, nope, she earned it first. She gets it. I'm, I'm still coach fight. I'll take it. But it, it's been really a great opportunity because we have that opportunity to have some dialogue where we can bounce some things off of each other. But the biggest thing, like you said, is we have somebody in our corner at home that actually understands profession because they're in the profession. So as much as we're both in the profession, we do try and give ourselves both personal and professional space. There are things that she does, whether that's the way she mentors her students or the way that she coaches the right programs. And it might be completely different than mine. But at the end of the day, and we're sitting at the dinner table, we acknowledge those differences. And then we try to seek and find that common ground because we know that, you know, we're able to sharpen each other's skills. So I'm one of the luckiest, if not the luckiest coach in the industry, because yes, I have a spouse. I have a partner. Uh, I often call her my general manager because all those decisions do go through her. That gets it, that understands it and and makes me a better coach and, and is now going to make me a better professor as I enter the world of academia. No, that's, that's great. And that's important. And it's a good thing to see that that's possible. I know, you know, you've seen the highest level of our profession, so you, you know how difficult it can be. And I think, I think that's a great thing. Now, how, how do you see the industries of strength, conditioning, nutrition, and psychology all merging? Cause you have all those backgrounds. So how do you think it in today's version of strength and conditioning or sports performance, how that's looking? Yeah. Well, if you ask me from the lens of, let's say a power five school or, you know, some sort of that athletic director model, I think that's exactly where we are and we're going to continue to go. It's something that I have been working on extensively at Springfield college of how can we create that high performance model that, involves all of these factors, right? Because you and I both know, right? You said it yourself, strength, conditioning, sports performance. What what are we calling ourselves these days, right? Now we have the integration of sports science. Now we have really more influence with performance nutrition. Now we're getting mental health on the docket as well. So to answer the question of like, where are we going? I think we're going to see a continued emphasis on doing more than just what I say to my kids, weights and plates and squats and sprints, because as we both know, there's so much more to our profession than that. So the the true high performance or reaching your potential, whatever we want to call it, is an intersection of all those areas, right? It's mindset, it's nutrition, it's recovery, it's training, it's life skills development. So I look forward to the evolution of the field. I think we're seeing a lot of that now with the 
emphasis on sports science or really just analytics and metrics and measurements and actually doing something with the data. And it's my goal to kind of be a part of that process of, of challenging other coaches and following the footsteps of guys like Dr. Brian Mann, who, who spent years in the field as a coach and is now pushing the envelope of saying, we're doing incredible amounts of great things. Now we have to put those results to paper and make sure other people are seeing that other than just a normal, you know, conference here or podcast there. So I think we're in a good spot. It's only going to get more intensive. It's only going to get more overlapping and it's only going to get more, I would say, panoramic with what we can provide to our student athletes. I, I think that's great. And I, I am, I'm glad that we have professionals like you or Dr. Mann that are trying to, you know, broaden it and like you said encompass a lot more stuff and, and combine it all and you've had an incredible career where you've been able to reinvent yourself multiple times you were you know a strength conditioning coach at the collegiate and nfl level for you know the start of it and then you reinvented it and then you were able to start your own business with ripped and it's 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 a big business it's doing really well for itself right now and then you're able to you know go into the performance or precision nutrition and then help build up that to the credible certification and, and organization it is. And now you're going back to, you know, maybe the academia side and helping out young coaches, you know, this last year, I know a lot of strength and conditioning coaches had to evaluate where they were at in the process. And then you know what it's like to be a younger coach and a GA and, you know, a lot of the men mentality is it's so difficult to like make your way there. It's kind of like, I'll die trying to get this profession. But once you're there, it's kind of like, all right, there's more to life than just a, or just B. How, how would you say, what was that the mindset or your game plan whenever you decided to switch your career, like switch the career path or, cause I know it's a lot intimidating. Some of the coaches are like, you know, there's no jobs right now in the collegiate side of things, but they're so hell bent on being a collegiate strength coach that they're missing other good opportunities. So what was that mindset over the process of how you'd go about, I guess, changing how your path looks? Yeah. I love how you frame the question here, coach, because I was one of the, I guess, victims or victors of that kind of pandemic fatigue and where I had a lot more time on my hands, not because I wasn't busy, but because priorities had shifted, right? So I had finished my degree. I was no longer commuting to campus. So to a degree, I had a little bit more time, but it allowed me to become a little bit more self-aware of what I was doing, why I was doing it, and where that path was going to take me. Again, I love precision nutrition. I love uh, what they're about, what we have done, and what we're going to continue to do and, and the roles that are going to change. But I had to get back to what drove me my all spark. And that was working with kids. And so during that time, you know, it was a lot of reflection. I think that's something as coaches, we don't do enough of, right. We write a program, we coach the program, and then maybe we meet with our staff at the end of the day. And it's like, Oh, how'd it go? Oh, this happened. That happened. We got to move this cone. We got to change that drill, fix a cue there. And then we're on to it. And then we move on. But how much time, and again, this is the fault of the model, right? Especially collegiate athletics. When do we have the time to self-reflect? When do we have the time to actually review our programs, to do a program review and a retrospective of why did we do what we did? What were some of the issues that came up with? What are some of the obstacles that we can plan for next time? And actually take inventory of that and move forward. So for me, it was when I've had these big transitions and, and I was looking at my resume the other day, they've really come in like these three to five year spurts, right? So 
besides a quick promotion ladder, you know, when I first started going from assistant to head coach to NFL, you know, ever since then, it's been like this five year thing of like, okay, what's happening. And I think about a book that Joe Ken had recommended to me early on in my career. And it's called, you know, the three signs of a miserable job. And it's by Patrick Lencioni and Patrick Lencioni is an incredible business author and, and tells a lot of things with, you know, fables that really make sense. Kind of got that like John Gordon feel to it. And when I look back on all of those transitions I've had, and even the one that I'm going through right now, it really hits home with what he talks about. There's kind of these three signs. And when you have one of these signs, it's really something to dig into. So one of them is anonymity. A second one is irrelevance. And then the third one is a measurement. And I don't want to spoil the text itself and the stories, but when you start to look at why you have these transitions, is it a reason for one of the three? Now I'll sit here and say, I haven't had a miserable job and why I transitioned wasn't that, but I learned that there is a point in those transitions where something wasn't what it used to be. And I had, whether I was leaving ripped, whether I was leaving precision nutrition, uh, whatever the case may be, it was a matter of looking at, do I want to be a settler or do I want to be a seeker and conqueror? And you get to a point, right? Where you hit that four, five, six, seven, eight, I don't know what it may be, but if it's not bringing you the utmost joy, like it used to, then you've got to make that decision of saying, am I in the best place right now with the people around me to to give my best life's work. And I had to make that call. And obviously I had made some sacrifices, right? Leaving ripped was, you know, really a big issue from my personal identity. Cause I was going from strength coach, business owner to now I was supporting my spouse on her journey. Cause she had done the same for mine up until that point and was going to strictly work online. And then I transitioned into precision nutrition. So focusing more on nutrition and then really taking that time to realize, is this where I want to be? Right. We talk about all the time, the, the fill the dash quote, right. We use it with our players. You know, you're on this earth for so long and what you do in between your birthday and your end date is that dash. And how are you feeling it at the end of this? And a lot of reflection during the pandemic, I was like, okay, we got to make some changes here. So a, a little bit expansive, maybe a roundabout way of answering your question in terms of like how that tra those transitions happen, but it was really taking the time to have time and, and reflect on again, what I was doing, who I was serving. And at the end of the day, was I the best version of myself? Was it affecting my ability as a father? It was. Was it affecting my ability as a spouse? It was. And I just couldn't do that anymore. So I had opportunities. I took advantage of them. I put myself in those positions for those opportunities to come up. And now we're sitting here today because of it. No, I think it's a great thing. And it's good to hear and it's not you being selfish, but very little of what you just said had nothing to do with what other people thought about you or like what other coaches might think of your career. It's, you know, it's, you know, what makes you happy. You want to be, you know, get back to being a better husband and a better uh, father. And, and you just want to get fulfill your happiness and what you felt it was. So I think it's good that some of the coaches realize it's not what other people think about you. It's, and I think it's a good thing to be like, Hey, you know, the profession will keep going on no matter what happens, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just going to choose to be happy and, and do what gives me happiness. I think that's good. And, um, and I learned that real quick, coach. I learned that so early on in my GA career, I was working with Frank Wintrick at the time 
who had taken myself and Donnell Boucher. And Donnell's been there ever since. He's been there, I think, you know, close to 15 years now. But I remember leaving the Citadel as a GA and I was going to take that job at University of Louisville. And I was upset. I was like, oh, now I got to start over. And I'm, I'm finally finding my rhythm with my teams and my coaches. And Frank had said something to the lines of, there's always going to be kids to coach. There's always going to be places to go. There's always going to be somebody else, somewhere to go, another coach to work with. And I've thought about that. And it's it's not like that I detach myself from the kids that I work with. But as I've gotten older, I've understood that, yes, I don't want to leave this place. Yes, I understand it might be an inconvenience. But at the end of the day, my team matters most. And if it's affecting my home life, it's affecting you know the relationships I have with the people that I care about most, then that's when it's time for a change. So... I've been able to go through those transitions. And yes, is there some grief? 100%. Do I still grieve uh, leaving New Jersey? Yes. Uh, Do I have any regrets about some of the things that have been done in the past from switching careers or switching jobs? Maybe. But I know when I look at the scoreboard and I'm thinking about where I am now compared to where I was, uh, I I like the odds and I, I like where we're heading. No, absolutely. I think, well, very well said. Now, you've also, you brought up House and, and a few other of your mentors, you know, what was it like to work under and even Donald Boucher? Like, what was it like to work under some high level? And I mean, House is a straight legend and I'm luckily going to be interviewing him here in a couple of weeks with his son. But, um, you know, what was it like to work under such either legendary or high functioning coaches? And what is the importance of the role of the mentor in I mean, your career now or when you're up and coming? Yeah, I think it's a great question, Coach. When I look at the role of a mentor, and people can disagree with me, and that's okay, but it's something I look at that is not a part-time job. It's not a contractual agreement. It's a lifetime obligation and opportunity, right? So when I say obligation, it's like, oh, I still have to keep, you know, coaching this kid up or I still got to return their text. It's an opportunity to mold and to shape and to inspire somebody that took the time, took the resources, took the money from their parents or themselves and their savings accounts from the summer to saying, I'm investing in you. And I take that role very seriously. And so when I've climbed my own coaching ladder and I've had people I say, quote, work under me, but I've, as I've gotten older, I've realized it's not working under me. It's working with me. It's around me. It's, it's all around, right. Is it's not going to stop when they leave. It's not going to stop when I leave. And so when that happens, when I look at mentors and that's probably one of the biggest pieces of advice I, I tell students of, you know, don't go there to get a couple extra t-shirts to live out your childhood dream of running out the sidelines, right? I, I, I called it years ago, the three L's, the logo, uh, the lust or the location for the institution. Don't, don't make that mistake. So choose a mentor, choose somebody that's not just going to use you for hired or in our case, unhired help uh, for a three month stint. You're investing in the long term. So, you know, working with guys like Joe Ken, right? I knew uh, leaving Springfield College, he was one of the ultimate connectors in the field. And I went out there and I bet on myself and and I did what I had to do. And that led me to a year with him at Arizona State, uh, helped me get a job at the Citadel, then two years at University of Louisville, helped me get a position with Eastern Michigan, then at the Panthers. And, you know, then we kind of took a break for a couple of years and then rekindled our relationship as we both got older and a little bit more mature, but to really understand where we were in our careers. And, you know, now we talk on the regular, which is great. Uh, So working with people that have those strong connections it's understanding 
not, you know, again, what they can do for us, but how I can cherish and how I can make this relationship flourish in the years to come after I'm done working with them. Because if they're true mentors, you're still going to talk with them. And if you're a mentor to somebody else, you're still going to pick up that phone. You're still going to look out for them. You may see something on Instagram. You may see something on other social media channels. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to forward this over. I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to share that with that person because they're still part of my circle or they're still part of my team. So yeah, I've been fortunate to work with guys like Joe Ken, uh, the staff at Louisville, you know, when I was a young, impressionable coach was, you know, really, really moldable in terms of my coaching philosophy. So guys like Brian Dermody, who ended up leaving the field, uh, Eric Hammer, uh, Eddie Grayer, all these types of guys that we had worked with really set the foundation for me. But then you know, I had the advantage of, of coming from Springfield College, where I'm very proud to get my undergrad and my PhD from, where a network of great coaches, all of my GA coaches I had as an undergrad, they were all mentors to me. And now they're all working New York Giants, Merrimack College, University of Minnesota. Uh, and I ended up marrying one of the coaches. So I think at the end of the day, it all worked out of, of having a an incredible two-way relationship with mentors. It's not just about what can I, I can do for them or what they can do for us, but it's about how we can both reciprocate each other's needs and ideas to, to drive ourselves both forward in the, in the profession as we continue to move on. Mm. Now that, that, that's very, uh, another, another, I guess, gem of advice and, and appreciate that as I, and I do like the, you know, don't, don't make the mistake of looking for the logo, the luster location. And uh, you said, bet on yourself in there. And I think that's a, a common thread that I've seen with a lot of coaches that have been able to establish themselves is you took a risk, you bet on yourself and, and it paid off. And I know, again, with what happened over this last year, a lot of coaches have started their own business or or looked to start their own business. I guess what, what one piece of advice or word of caution or misconception would you tell those coaches that are starting their own business because it's i i've started my own business as well and i know there's luckily like i got my mba so i got a little mm. bit more insight how to make that correct but it's it, it's tough and there's a lot to it that more than just look at me i'm a coach from collegiate collegiate strength coach like what's some advice you'd give to those coaches yeah the biggest lesson i learned and and i credit my work at pn for this was the idea of the sfd so hemingway had it's been told to me and that's how i remember it but it was never about turning in a final draft it was about the sfd so um language barring it was the shitty first draft okay <laughs> right and that, right. that'll be the extent of my four letter words and whatnot so big deal yeah you're good you take care of that because when it's done done is different than complete get something done and then you refine and you refine and you refine and when it comes to starting your own business the idea of the sfd it freaks people out it freaked me out when i shift into a role at Precision Nutrition where I was writing a ton of the curriculum. I was working with, I mean, experts in behavior change. And I just, you know, happened to share the, the virtual table with them of like figuring out. And that piece of imperfect action, it's what paralyzes a lot of our coaches because we think in this all or nothing attitude, right? I'm starting a business. That means I need my logo has to be fire, right? I need my website domain has to be legit. I need my e-commerce set up. I need all my social media handles. I need all my content ready to go scheduled, you know, pre-dripped, all that stuff. 
And when we do that, right, we paralyze ourselves with the inadequacies of I don't have it done or it's not good enough. Right. And then that feeds into, you know, phenomenons like imposter syndrome. So the best piece of advice I give and I continue to remind myself is to take imperfect action. And here's a clear example. I started the LLC with my wife back in October and I said, all right, big things coming. Put a little trailer on Instagram, you know, got something off Fiverr for like 10 bucks. And I was like, big things coming. And then I didn't do anything, right? I just had some other things in in line. Then I go through a little transition with my job and I'm like, all right, here we go. So I buy the domain. I can't find somebody to really help me with the website within my budget. I'm worried about what to post in the Facebook groups because I want to reintroduce myself to the community because I've been very fortunate. I've spoken a lot of places. I know a lot of people, but nobody knows who I am in my own zip code, right? Like who's this guy, right? He's just a guy that lives on the street next to an elementary school. So I take imperfect action. I said, you know what? Let's get going. I'm just going to create a Google Doc. I'm going to create a Google Doc. I'm going to put a photo of my family. I'm going to talk about what I've done, where I am. Here are some prices. Do you have a scheduler? No. Call me, text me. We'll figure it out. Now I have a Calendly, right? The website. Where can I buy the info? Oh, you know what? Um, I'll send you an invoice and then you can pay cash or check right now or set up a Venmo. So all of a sudden, I've been able to pull in a a good amount of revenue in the last six, eight weeks of just being like, I'm just going to go. And I will, as we say at PN, I will build the ship as I fly it or, or sail it. I will build the plane as I fly it. Take imperfect action. You're never going to be perfect. You can always refine. But if you don't get going, if you don't take that step and, and take that next action, you're never going to get the business off the ground. So I don't know which software to use. Is it Train Heroic? Is it Team Builder? Is it something else? Just pick one. You can change it. That's fine. And taking imperfect action, I've been able to generate revenue. I've been able to reestablish myself in the community and I've been able to learn a lot about what I need and what I don't need. And sure, am I going to have like four different tax statements because I've used all these different credit card processors? Hey, that's all good. I'll take that. But guess what? That's going to outweigh the the positives are going to outweigh that of what I've had to do because I've shifted so many times that I've pivoted. And that was, I mean, really the word of the pandemic, 2020, 2021 was pivoting, right? You as a coach, how can you pivot? I don't have athletes to coach. I better figure it out. I put myself out there. I want to start a website. Okay. Start. I, I bought a Wix website and figured out I couldn't do a lot with it. And then I sat on it and I was like, no, I'll just go to WordPress. So I lost some money. I was fortunate enough. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll recoup that. But I, I just bought it. I bought the domain and I was like, I'll do something with it. And I didn't. And I learned. So I'll pause there because I can go off on a tear of all the things that I thought I was going to do. And I did not take imperfect action. Go do the next thing to get the big thing. You got to do the thing right now and to take action and move forward. We'll be right back. High school coaches, listen here and check this out. If you've always wanted gym wear, but never had the budget, we have some big news for you. Gymware and Flex are now together in one place. The Flex hardware now integrates with Gymware's team app and cloud, giving you more data than before. Teams with smaller budgets can access the same technology the professionals use without breaking the bank. Before locking in your next weight room upgrade, be sure to reach out to the team at Gymware first. I'm telling you, you can have a cost-effective, accurate VBT technology and Gymware right in your weight room. Check them out at gymaware.com. No, that's that's great advice. And I, same thing, you know, I started my LLC last year when I took over the podcast and, you know, it's, it can be intimidating and it's one of those things like, you know, you just, just do it. Like you'll figure it out when you get there. And 
good thing about everything being digital. Be like, look, like you, I probably couldn't be able to tell you went from Wix to WordPress. Like, it's just one of those things where it's like, hey, you fixed it. You're, you know, cut your loss, but you, you're learning and you, you adapt. And I do like that that phrase, you know, build the plane as you fly or build the ship as you go. Like, it's just, it'll happen. Just take that next step. And I think that's, that's great. Now you've been able to constantly, you know, remold yourself and hit some high levels of not just strength conditioning or performance, but academia too. Where does, where do you see that as far as like, what was your main motivation for the the PhD? And then also how do you, would you say to coaches get, and plus you have every certification under the book and uh, under the sun, which is a great thing. Like you got some very difficult certifications there as well. It's like, how do you get to what you know, to what you can apply and, and the importance of the application? Cause I know a lot of coaches, you know, I'm seeing a lot more, even with my interns, they're kind of, I had a couple interns that come in with their masters, CSES, all the certs, but almost no experience. So all, all they have is just textbook knowledge. So could you explain like the difference between like the textbook and the application and like the motivations for that? Yeah. Uh, hopefully no USAW coaches are listening. Cause I think that might be the one I finally <laughs> lapse because after yeah. 10 years of paying like 80 something dollars a year, I'm like, a am year. I, am I really yeah. not going to get a job because I'm not USAW certified. So right. shout out to right. all of you. Appreciate it. Uh, that was the first cert I got <laughs> because I wasn't eligible for the CSCS yet. So yeah, yeah I, it's, it's another great question because when I look at that idea of getting the certifications, right. And distinguishing, all right, here's what I know, but here's what I can do. I think it's important for coaches, especially to, to put yourselves in the end user experience, right? Not enough. And I see this too. My, my wife's the associate director at Springfield college. She's going through all of the graduate applications to, you know, become into the master's program and to take the time to actually look at those components of soft skills and communication and the experience that they bring to the table, because like anything, and then I'll go back. It's all about stories for me. I remember working third shift at Home Depot during college in my undergrad days. So I would go because I thought it was a good idea to buy a Jeep Wrangler when I was 18. And I was like, well, I got to pay for it. Right. So I'm working like nine to three 30 most nights, other nights I'm working like nine to six and I'm, I'm talking with the plumbing guy and we're just talking about like kids these days. Right. Like now that I'm in my thirties, I'm like kids these days don't understand. And he's like, yeah, I just, I can't get anybody to, you know, continue to work with us. Like they're just, they start off, they figure in and they don't want to figure it out. And he goes, I can teach you plumbing. Like I can teach you that. I can't teach you those intangibles of hard work and dedication and sense of urgency. Like that relies on your parents, that relies on your upbringing, that relies on your life experiences. So when I think about that and I look at coaches, I am looking at the intangibles, right? I'm looking at their personality. I'm looking at, are you coachable? Are you going to be somebody that has a growth mindset? Because growth mindset in itself can be very specific. Uh, everybody thinks that you can have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset and that's it, right? You either have it or you don't. It's not the case. The case is I can be a fixed mindset in one area, but then I can be a growth mindset in the other. So when I look for those, and, and that's what I encourage coaches is, listen, if they have all that stuff, great. But again, put them in the driver's seat. And I love the the, the idea of case studies. Um, that's something I rely a lot in learning opportunities because you want to get as specific as possible. Sure, somebody can spit off or rattle off 
you know, the amount of seconds in duration or the reps and sets, or tell me the Prilpin chart, yada, yada, yada. Like I've done all that stuff. I can't even tell you, I, I did a whole book on using the Prilpin chart for jumping. And I can't even tell you the percentages and reps and because it doesn't matter anymore. Right. And so the stories I go with are, yeah, they come in with the certs and great, but give them real life examples. And I have a whole file of things that I have looked at of this was a situation. How would you have handled it? What would you do in this instance? What What's some of the information that you're missing? Um, let's put you in a situation right here. And we do some real playing. We do some role playing, right? Um, that's going to be the biggest indicator for success for me, because again, You'll take the class, you'll read the book, you'll figure out that, guess what, five sets of 10 probably took a little bit longer than you wanted. So maybe next time you do three sets of eight, things like that. Uh, that's where we have to devote our focus. It's not the X's and O's. It's about all of the other things that are happening. So in the context of, you know, how do we make sure that we go, we bridge the gap, as a lot of people in our field like to say, is do you actually consider the end user experience and you reverse engineer that? right? Most of us as coaches, and this is what I learned in higher ed. This is what I learned in the idea of developing curriculum. I knew my end plan, my end point, my game plan, some point or another, I was going to be, go to the very end of the road. And for me, that was getting a PhD. I didn't know when it was going to happen. I didn't know how it was going to happen. And I was very fortunate to have the support of precision nutrition to be flexible at my schedule and the support of my partner to do it. So it was always important to me. I wanted to be the best and that's how I live my life. And if, if we talked earlier, right, about the interns that I've worked with, uh, I don't settle for okay or good enough because guess what? The time that you settle and you think it's good enough, that's the same exact time that you send a resume to the wrong organization. And then you wonder why you didn't get the job. So I look at all those components and I figure out exactly how can I actually think of the experience? Will this create the best environment for my athletes? What are some things that they're going to happen in their way. That's a technique called mental contrasting. I want to look at all of the other things that could be different there and to prepare for that ahead of time. I don't think a lot of coaches, especially early on, think about it. They write a program and they think, all right, yeah, that'll be good. It'll take 40 to 60 minutes. And they forget to think about how that will make them feel, uh, the transition in the weight room, the use of technology, right? We had shifted to team builder this year. There were a lot of things that they used to be able to do, but you couldn't do it this year because of COVID regulations. So I'll pause there. I, I always knew I wanted to do a PhD. If it wasn't for PN, you know, I don't think I would have got it in psychology. And I'm really glad I did because now I'm truly understanding the art and the science of motivation and what makes kids tick, but also what drives coaches and what doesn't. And understanding, I just work backwards. It's just like programming. But if, if we're not considering the customer, and this is my business talk, right? You have the MBA. If we're not considering the story that we're telling and the solution that we're trying to help them receive, then we're missing it. Because at the end of the day, everybody's a client. We're all selling. We have to sell with our services and how we communicate with our athletes and coaches. And that's a big piece of that. And we misunderstand that quite a bit. Hmm. Now that that's, I think that's a great way in the, uh, keeping, you know, the end uh, the user experience and putting yourself what, what what's it going to be at the end and i think that's that's really good the uh way to bridge it like you said you'd be able to bridge you know what you want it to be for them and where they're at now and i think that that's great and you know and i don't normally ask this too many coaches but you are you've been in the industry long enough and you can take a thirty thousand foot view of our industry where do you see it or what's the state of our industry right now in a you know pretty much 
post-COVID situation that we're in. Yeah, the first one that stands out to me, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, is I think strength and conditioning coaches realize how little they actually need to program for the athletes to get results. I think COVID was... I'm always looking for gold linings, silver linings to me are second place. So I'm looking for the very best, right? So we're looking at gold, we're looking at platinum. When I started looking at our stabs and talking with other coaches and the equipment that they didn't have, the time that they didn't have, the communication that, you know, was restricted by them until the NCAA figured out what the heck we were doing and they still got better and they recovered and they had a better outlook on life. That was the biggest thing I noticed, especially with the kids that we work with of, cause you didn't have all the equipment. You didn't have all the time. You didn't have select group coaching. So that would be number one. Number two, now more than ever, again, gold lining coaches appreciate hopefully a little bit more the role of mental health, the role of the support team and how all of these intersecting factors and this, you know, what we call this biopsychosocial approach is affecting kids, but also themselves because coaches now more than ever, unfortunately, but in a good way, they had their own identity loss. I worked with sport coaches that had no sport to coach. I worked with strength coaches that had no groups to coach. So now all of a sudden I've wrapped myself up into this identity and we've done a lot of research on that on, on athlete identity. It's no different with coaches. When you submerse yourself into a role that you have no other things to do, to unwind with, to help define what you like to do, it can become very traumatic. So I would say those top two things and maybe not the direction you thought I was going to go, but we don't have to do as much as we once thought. And there is a lot more to our profession and there's a lot more to our relationships with the kids that we have the uh, opportunity to train than simply just coaching. There's so much more to that. And I think, I hope that it's going to continue to move forward as we return back to what we call normal. We don't forget mm. what we learned this past year and we continue to move it forward. No, that, that that's great. Hey, I like the gold or platinum lining because you're looking for the best, but you're, you nailed it on the head. Simple is, is a bad, better, like you, very little programming needed to be happened to get them better from coming back from where they were and, I have my block zero, which I got, you know, from coach Ken, but um, we were just in block zero when they, they got back for a long time, just getting the basic movements. And we saw some good results and it's like, Hey, just keep it simple. Like they do a lot, but you made a big, big point on the mental health. And I, I saw it a lot with coaches I've been talking to or like coaches I interact with is like, you have a coach that's not able to coach a team or a strength coach. And I didn't have groups of teams and, when you got that role that you've basically had your whole life and had it taken away, it's, it's a, it's a good thing. And I think it's become more apparent, at least in the sports medicine that I've seen is like, Hey, mental health for athletes and coaches is a big part of it. And we only got a couple more questions because I want to be respectful of your time, but what would be the biggest advice you'd have for that coach that's just getting done and I normally say younger coach, not younger in age, but younger in the profession, whether just coming off a GA or they're an intern going to another internship when they're in the the grind or in, and they're in the, the the toil of what we did to get to where we're at. What's some advice you'd have for those coaches? <laughs> I'm going to borrow actually something that I use 
at graduation last week. So I was fortunate enough. Mm. I was honored as one of the distinguished graduates and they had me speak to everybody and by everybody, there's probably 50 of us there because of COVID and it was all short, but I remember telling them and all the students and faculty members that like, Hey, now's the time I'm supposed to tell you that you got to get up, you got to live your life as a champion. You got to continue to push all these like classic one-liners. But what I told them was this idea of we're not going to be done we're never done. And I think as interns and as GAs and as young coaches, we think we get to the end of the road and we think it's all good. What we fail to remember is that the end of the road is simply the beginning of another road. And we have to be able to put check marks in our headlights, so to speak, of saying, you know what, I'm going to actually pull over to the side of the road here and I'm going to pause. And instead of forcing myself to, all right, what's next? Where do I got to go? Who do I have to meet? Like actually take time, look in the rear view mirror and be like, you know what, what have I accomplished already so far? Because we're so driven. We're so, you know, we want to put everything into fifth gear and drive straight and all gas, no brakes, right. That we fail to reflect back on the people that we met, the connections that we've been able to foster and actually what we've been able to do. Right. And so That'd be one of the biggest pieces there is to actually, when you have time to slow down, like truly slow down. I I call it like in sports, like I call it like shifting into neutral, right? We can call it mindfulness. We can talk about being present in the moment, being where you are. But when was the last time we as coaches shifted into neutral? When was the last time that we actually lifted without music or didn't listen to a podcast and actually was a little bit more mindful of, of what we've been able to do? So I think that's one of the biggest pieces of advice is, you know what? Stop with the mentality of work harder, grind it out and do what you have to do. So then later on, you can get what you want to get. I'm, I'm all about that. I get that. And I think that leads me to my second point is understand and learn to tolerate delayed gratification, because that is going to be a skill that you're going to need your entire life, right? You want to achieve a goal. That's great. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It may happen in a year. It may happen in three years. It may happen in five years or 10 years. So weighing the pros and cons and and doing those, what we call decisional balance sheets of, you know, where does this weigh right now compared to what it's going to affect me moving forward, I think is super, super important because it reminds us of what we're shooting for and striving for, right? You and I both know this is a tough field. Uh, There are some issues that are still not being addressed. There are some issues that are being addressed. And maybe that's why I've pivoted so many times because it's like, well, I can't solve the solutions in this role. Let me go to a different role and I can, and I can help there. But understanding that like, Hey, shift into neutral a little bit once in a while, And secondly, like remember the power and the comfort and also the distress of delayed gratification and just know that you're never going to be done. There's always something else. You're going to have a little bit better idea of figuring it out. And when you think you've got it figured out, when you think you got all the answers, you and I both know, coach, like you're done, right? You're, you're just, you're not where you should be right now. So keep that growth mindset open. And know that there's always going to be a next thing to work on, another person to take care of, another idea to capture and harness into an actual solution. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, if you could pick up the co- uh, pick up the phone and call Adam Fight from 10 years ago, what would you tell him? Oh, that's fitting. So I'm 35 now. I'll be 36 this summer. 25. I was in the NFL, youngest coach in the league at the time. I would tell Adam at 25 years old, who's just about to get married, because I was it's gonna be my 10-year anniversary. This is a great question. This is like this is so fitting. 
at that time and, and why I didn't stay in the NFL was I was so wrapped up in the idea that a high level coaching organization or the league was so transactional. I couldn't comprehend. I had a hard time dealing with that because I was a younger coach. I was a previous head coach. I was all about relationships. I was all about, you know, the long-term process. And I was a little narrow-minded. I was, I was failing to adapt with how things should have been done. I probably could have communicated a little bit better. So 10 years ago, I'd say, you know, Hey man, like this is your current reality. You've got to adapt to your current situation and environment or this place will eat you alive. And I had some moments where I did. I felt like that. I felt like, why am I here? Uh, what is the purpose of this? Is this the pinnacle of coaching? And, you know, you can talk with some other coaches and, and you know, you're going to have house on in a couple of weeks, it sounds like. So, you know, we've had a lot of discussions about that, right? So I would say, you know, think about from that 30,000 foot view, like you said, uh, put on the binoculars and, and, and scan your environment and scan what's really happening. Don't be so focused on everything I do in this role matters. When I was in the league, it was what we did. It, did it matter? Yes. But there were so many other overlapping factors of success. And I just really, I couldn't internalize that just yet. I was still kind of going through the, the process of the role of a strength coach at that high level at that time in that organization. So yeah. Open your eyes. Take a look at what's around you, man. There's, there's a lot more to, to life and uh, you know, the purpose of coaching. And that's what I tell them. Yeah. No, absolutely. That, great advice. And you know, if our listeners wanted to see what you got going on or find out, you know, what's you know, next for you or, or just reach out for any follow-up questions. What, what's the best way they could find you? Yeah, I am trying to be a little bit more active on social media. I'm taking a little bit of break um, just from the grind of going to school full-time and working full-time and parenting full-time. But I, I try to be active on Instagram more than Twitter, but they're the same. So they're at AE fight, uh, A-E-F-E-I-T. Uh, I'm on Facebook. So if you're 30 plus Facebook's where it's at, that's where all the cool kids are at. So uh, definitely more active on that. So you can uh, friend me there if that's what the kids still say. And then email is, I'm going to be obviously taking a, a bigger and more pronounced role at Springfield College moving forward. So my email at Springfield is a fight. So A-F-E-I-T at Springfield.edu. And I think we'll leave it at that, but I will be in touch with hopefully all the listeners as I take on a new role as a field work coordinator. So if you're a college coach, if you're a private sector coach, if you are looking for incredible help and you want to assume the role of a mentor and you want to do a kick-ass job and you want to represent yourself and your institution, let me know because I've got dozens of kids looking for mentors that are trying to you know, earn their ticket into the, the life of coaching and exercise science. And I'd love to connect you with them. No, that, that's great. And that's good that you're finding, you're still finding ways to give back and helping out those young coaches out there at Springfield College. So uh, I wanted to say thank you for, you know, coming on and, and being on the podcast. You were, I know we we're talking a little bit beforehand. I think you said you were number two. Uh, the, the, the original, original podcast. Yeah. Yeah. The original podcast. So way back seven or eight years ago. And, and, you know, here you are now. And, you know, I appreciate it. You, you, you've done a lot for our profession and you're continuing to do a lot for our profession and it's greatly appreciated. And I know our listeners are going to get to get a, a lot of great information on here of just what it's like to be 
you know, in our profession and how to navigate their way through it. So I appreciate it, coach. No, I appreciate you coach. And obviously, you know, re-kicking this out from, you know, the archives and, and giving some new voice and some new ideas and conceptions. So uh, have been a big fan and yeah, I'm fired up. The best is yet to come. I'm excited for the next chapter of this journey for myself and my family in the field of sports performance. And I hope I can have a small role in, in your development, you know, for all the listeners out there of, of what you all need. So that'd be great. Let's keep in touch. We'll do coach. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. This episode is brought to you by play. Play is a company that I've personally been working with from the start. Everyone at play works to help strength coaches innovate and find solutions for our profession from flooring weight room equipment outdoor spaces and everything in between play will collaborate with you to find what you need they work with everyone from professional teams to high schools and they've always made me feel important and a part of the play family refuse second best with play find them at play.us and let them know iron game chalk talk 2.0 sent you Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you to our great guests for taking the time to share their experiences. Thank you to Play and Team Builder for being great companies that help our profession. And most importantly, thank you, the listeners. Please find us on social media at Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. Find our show notes on wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us a rating, comment, and subscribe. And don't forget to say hi. It's great to hear from coaches from around the country. Talk to you all next week on another episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0.